Um, I think for me, and I, I actually give um, lectures on this um, all over the country um, for student retention is building a community. Hi, I'm Ben Capolo, and welcome to All Keyed Up, Creative Conversations for Today's Piano Teachers. Thanks so much for listening. Today I will be speaking with Deborah Howe. Deborah Howe is the executive director and owner of the Westside Music Conservatory in Santa Monica, where she maintains a private studio of over 75 students in piano and flute. Her students include many national and international level competition winners in performance, theory, and composition. She's a member of the Royal Conservatory of Music College of Examiners and is in high demand as a lecturer on piano pedagogy and studio management. She is also CEO of Bravura Innovations, a startup consulting company dedicated to management, marketing, and branding solutions for the performing arts. A classically trained pianist and flutist, she concertizes regularly for community outreach and fundraising events as a concerto soloist and ensemble player. Committed to community service, she is the president of the Westside Music Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to music education. Dr. Howe received a PhD from the USC Thornton School of Music, an MA from the UCLA Herb Albert School of Music, BA in Humanities from Swarthmore College, and an MBA at the UMass Eisenberg School of Management. Deborah, thanks so much for joining today. You're welcome. Thanks for inviting me. So this show is aimed at piano teachers at all stages in their careers. However, I think it's safe to say that many of our listeners would be thrilled to have your quantity of students and business credentials. So I'd like to spend most of today talking to you about these two aspects of your work. First, I'd like to talk business. Can you give our listeners a snapshot of the different organizations that you run? Sure. So um, I have a private studio that I've been running since I graduated from college. Uh, way back in the late 80s. So it's been up for more than 30 years. And I recently merged my private studio of 75 or so students with a music conservatory that I started two years ago after taking over a smaller music conservatory in 2017. So those two entities are now together and I'm really excited uh, because the music conservatory that I opened is just a couple of blocks away from my house so I can walk um, and the weather is really nice in Santa Monica. So. Um, and then, so that's the teaching side of things. Um, uh, Bravura Innovations is a consulting company. So about 10 years ago, um, I decided that it would be a good idea to get an MBA. Um, it's a consulting company and we weren't sure if we would have clients. Um, we're dedicated to the performing arts, mostly nonprofit performing arts organizations. And so what we do is we help nonprofits that seemingly are going under with their budgeting um, and their management and their marketing and branding. Um, and usually we can save it. So that's what Bravura Innovations does. We are also an IT uh, company. So we do a lot of web development. We run websites for about a dozen nonprofit organizations um, down to the skip logic application forms. So that's what Bravura Innovations does. It's the um, business end of running a nonprofit or running a music uh, organization, educational institution. Um, I also founded a nonprofit way back in 2006. Um, and that was for 
music education. And what we do is we make sure that basically no child is left behind. And we try to offer the highest level music education opportunities and performance opportunities for all students, um, regardless of socioeconomic um, status. So uh, if a student cannot afford an application fee, um, if they can't afford a summer program fee, they can apply to us and we'll look at it individually. We also sponsor several concerto competitions in the Los Angeles area. And you know, again, we waive fees um, if uh, this student can't afford them. And we're one of the very few concerto competitions where the winners actually play with orchestra without a fee. Um, so those are, you know, the mostly the big things that I run. And then I sit on the boards of right now, maybe a half a dozen. I, I've cut down. I used to be on the boards of about a dozen organizations. Now I think I'm down to six. Um, and for most of them, I run the financial things and the IT things of things. And, um, you know, these are, again, these small nonprofits that can't afford to bring in a consultant. So I sit on the board as that kind of consultant. Um, I'd like to turn a little bit now to your uh, piano teaching. Um, as we've mentioned, you have a very, very full studio with 75 students. And um, there are many piano teachers who have different thoughts about how to build student bases. And one thing that I see a lot is people who try to market themselves very widely and say things like, I teach all ages, all genres, all styles, all levels. Um, and that's clearly from your website, not the approach you've taken. And I think that that might be one reason why you might have been so successful is that you make it abundantly clear that you offer high-level classical instruction for very serious students, and you have everyone participate in certification programs, um, and now you have a very full studio and also a studio presumably full of the students that you want to work with. Um, so I'm wondering if you believe that targeting your niche in that way has been one of your main strategies towards gaining so many students, and if you have any other thoughts in general on teachers who are looking to increase their number of students. That's a really good question. So um, when I first started teaching, and I think when a lot of um, teachers first started teaching, I, I took everybody and anybody um, mm -hmm. because I needed to pay the bills. Then I decided, well, if I'm going to be a piano teacher, I'm going to be a piano teacher, and I'm going to be one of the best piano teachers that, you know, around, and what do I need to do that? And so what I did was I branded myself and this is one of the reasons why I went to business school later is because um, I found that, you know, and I was very young, I was in my 20s, and I said, I'm just going to brand myself, and this is what I'm going to do. I'm only going to take students um, where it's a requirement in my studio to take exams at least once a year, third-party exams. It's a requirement to play in recital, and, you know, it's just these are all the things, and people were saying, well, you, you might not get very many students, and I said, well, that's okay. It's part-time anyway. I'm still in grad school, and I'm just going to build my reputation this way. Um, most of my students compete, um, and it just started with, I think I had six students um, at the time and they all took exams. They all did really well in exams. They started competing, they started winning competitions. And um, I will say that I have never advertised. I've never asked for students. I've never put anything anywhere saying that I wanted students and I have been full since the very first year. Wow, well, I think that's great that even from the get-go when you were in your 20s, you you knew what type of teacher you wanted to be, what type of students you wanted, and you stuck to it, and you've never had to advertise. And so I do think it goes against um, a lot of 
some of the rhetoric around building students that you have to just say, I do everything that you can. No, you can stick to your strengths and play to your strengths. And that's just in many ways as productive of a route. Well, I think um, I think you have to know what you're good at. Yeah. And so um, I know that I'm good at preparing students to audition for conservatories. Mm -hmm. um, I typically don't take college students. Um, you know, I have one right now because she's applying to transfer from uh, being a percussion major back to being a piano major. So I'm helping her do that. But my feeling is once you get to college, you should change teachers and, you know, do something else. And, and um, you know, especially if they're a music major, they're going to need to take lessons from somebody at their college or conservatory anyway. So, um, and I made it very clear, you know, I'm a, I teach from preschool through 12 and it's pretty serious. All of my students are required to take theory um, and that's separate from lessons. And so right there, um, you know, it's, um, it, it's a filter. You know, when I tell the parents, when they call, I said, well, you need to have lessons, but you also need to take group theory classes at least once a month. Um, and they, they all say what? And I said, and there's theory homework every day. And they, most of them just say, okay, we're not going to do that. And that, that works just fine. I will um, offer some advice to new teachers who are thinking about this. Um, while I require all students to take external exams, if you're trying to build a studio and you're looking for numbers, you can offer two separate programs and you can call one part of your studio, you know, advanced studies, that's what my studio is called. Um, and then you can say, you know, if these families are interested in doing these things, they're going to be in this part of my studio. And if you just want to have casual lessons and just have a good time, you can be in this part of the studio, but you offer different things for right. the different groups of students. And um, I'm just not a very patient person. So <laughs> I, I can't teach uh, the kids who don't practice because I get really frustrated. Um, so, and I knew that from the beginning that I was going to be frustrated. And um, my mother uh, was also a piano teacher and she took all the kids who just wanted to have fun. And we lived in a very small apartment and the piano was on the other side of my bedroom wall. So the entire time I was growing up, I heard piano lessons through my wall of these kids who would come every week and play the same thing for about three years. And, you know, I just knew that I couldn't do that. Maybe it was because I grew up in that environment. And um, she went away one summer for a couple of weeks. I was uh, home from college and I was house sitting the apartment. And she said, can you just teach my students for a couple of weeks? And I think when she came home, they all complained to her and said that, you know, I made them cry, you know, like oh. she corrected notes and she wanted me to play with a metronome and all of those <laughs> things. And so it was it was clear that I, I couldn't do the thing that she was doing. And she was very good at it. All of her students loved her. They came to piano lessons. She kept her students from kindergarten through 12th grade, but they um, they were not playing Prokofiev piano concertos as mm -hmm. in high school, you know, they were playing Disney's greatest hits and it was great, but I know that I couldn't do that. So I just chose from the beginning, if I know I'm not going to be good at it and I'm not going to be happy doing it, that I'm just not going to do it. And there are plenty of piano teachers who don't want to do what I do and want to do what my mom did. So 
And speaking about your mother, you mentioned that she was able to keep her students from kindergarten through 12th grade, and you've also been able to keep a lot of your students for a long amount of time, despite having a very different teaching style than she did. So I'd like to talk about student retention, which is obviously in many ways just as important, if not more important, than student acquisition. It seems like one way that you maintain students is through ensuring that they're always making tangible progress through these theory classes, examinations, explicit practice requirements. So it's very clear to the parents what they're paying for. Would you say that that's been one of your strategies for student retention? And could you discuss more broadly any suggestions you have or strategies you've learned as far as keeping students? Um, I think for me, and I I actually give... um, lectures on this um, all over the country um, for student retention is building a community. Ah. So um, I believe in building community. Uh, That's the strength of my studio. Um, Because we have group theory classes, the kids know each other Mm. and they are making friendships that go beyond the friendships they make at school because my students come from all different schools, public schools, private schools, home schools, and, but they get together um, in these theory classes and they're in them from kindergarten through 12th grade. So, you know, they're, they're friends outside mm. of school and that sense of community is very strong. I have students, they get together and do things online that have nothing to do with me. Um, you know, they, they have game night or whatever. Oh, um, that's so cool. Yeah, so they they do things like that. We've had um, baking nights at my house, you know, where my piano students are at my house. I I I don't really do it, but my my son bakes, and you know there were there have been explosions in my kitchen. Um, but they're doing social things together. Hmm. And what I do for theory classes is I have the older students mentor the younger students. And so there's a continuity with the sense of community and the little kids look up to the big kids. The big kids like working with the little kids. Um, And I have a student now, she's in fourth grade and she already told me last week, she's like, when I'm in high school, I want to be your assistant, one of your theory teachers. And she said, that just sounds like so much fun. And I said, you know what? I have a new student that goes to the same school as you do. And how about you just work with him separately, you know? And so she just started on um, Monday. They're a study group. And, you know, she's so excited because she's practicing on how later she's going to be a theory assistant. Um, And I think that really helps. Uh, I didn't know how that was going to work online. But right now I have three college students and uh, a high school senior that are working as tutors and assistants for me in theory. We now offer theory six days a week. Um, and you know, before it was only once a week on Sunday afternoons, but because of zoom, we're six days a week theory and they're working almost every day. The kids can sign up and then I match them with one of my college students. Um, and these are college students, uh, ones at Berkeley, ones at Pomona ones, you know, it just, it wouldn't work, but we're on zoom so they can, from their, uh, apartments, you know, away from here, they can log in and work with my students. So it's been very successful this year. Um, and it's every day we have kids sign up for, for theory. And um, that makes me really happy. That's almost counterintuitive. I mean, I feel like yes. the stereotype for theory classes, it's the surefire way to make everyone run in the opposite direction. But what I think your experience describes is that, no, it can actually create a great sense of community and it can work against the kind of one-on-one nature of private exactly. lessons where students don't feel that sense of community. Um, so that's great that the theory classes have been helpful for your student retention. 
I think especially as pianists, um, I playing the piano can be a very lonely experience. Absolutely. Um, uh, especially when you go to middle school or high school and your middle school and high school don't have a place for a pianist um, where, you know, violin and, and flute, you know, those kinds of instruments are much more social instruments. Um, and it's, there are not that many piano quartets being formed, you know, at the middle school and high school level where it becomes social. So I've made it a point um, for my studio to feel, you know, just because they take classical piano lessons and maybe they're playing in Bach Festival next month doesn't mean that they can't be social. So we do a lot of chamber music, whether it's duets, duos. Um, almost all of my students play another instrument. One of the strengths of living where I live in Santa Monica is um, it has a huge instrumental program. So um, the middle school has, I think, six full-time bands, six full-time orchestras, and the high school, the same thing. So uh, just everybody has to play something or, or sing. Um, and so we do a lot of chamber music. I match them together. So my piano students all have a secondary instrument or piano is their second instrument. Um, so I can put together um, a chamber orchestra with just my piano students. And we've done that and they've had a lot of fun uh, doing that as well. And I, I think building community is um, the key to student retention. If they feel like they're part of something, um, then they want to stay. And also, I, I do believe that the third party assessments um, gives students and parents this the sense of achievement that they're making progress and they want to see it through, you know, like they want to get to level 10, they want to get to level advanced. And I feel like exams are very different from competitions. You know, exams are not in front of a public audience. Um, it's a one-to-one -one thing. And you're being assessed on your ability to play the pieces that you've picked and not being compared to somebody else on that day. Um, so my students are required to do exams, but they are not required to compete. So, um, you know, but I would say a lot of my students do compete and that's why they come to me mm -hmm. is, is because I will bring them there. That being said, I know a lot of people philosophically don't believe in competitions or exams. My mother was one of those. Um, so, you know, and like I said, you know, I, I knew that I didn't want to do what she did and, um, she's uh, since passed away. But when we were both teaching at the same time, she would send me students who wanted to do that. And I would send her students, you know, who wanted to play Disney theme songs. So right. you know, it, exactly it, yeah, you it do, as what you said, you do what you're good at. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Exactly. And I, I think that's really important. Yes. The moral of this all is that everyone needs to have baking sessions with their students. They can take one thing away from this interview. Yeah. Um, baking is baking is really good. <laughs> agreed. So finally, can you give everyone a sense of what you're up to right now and how everyone can learn more about you? Um, sure. It's been a little bit um, crazy right now. Um, I'm running a music conservatory that's been closed since March. So, um, you know, it's been 10 months over here, but we still have to pay rent um, on the building and a parking lot. I have, I think, 12 studios that are empty. Um, I come to work here, but I'm the only one, uh, you know, so I'm teaching hundred percent online, but I'm teaching from the conservatory. The rest of my faculty yeah. has been teaching from home. I think I saw you're up to 3,250 Zoom lessons. Yes, at yeah. least. Yeah. Well over 3,000. I, I, I was counting and then at some point I just gave up. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's, you know, 75 plus Zoom lessons a week 
you know, and I've not missed a day of teaching since uh, March. I teach seven days a week, about 12 hours a day. Um, so I think, uh, you know, it's what's been really hard for us is I opened a music conservatory that has two performing spaces and we lost a considerable amount of income um, from facility rentals. So we had a lot of teachers that rented space from us to teach. Um, we had programs that rented space from us for rehearsals, for exams, for festivals. Um, so uh, we've taken a huge hit um, for the last 10 months. And you can imagine, you know, it's just, we had a, an event at our school at least one event every weekend and so we've lost all of that uh. income so that's why i have so many students right now is um you know and i'm very fortunate that i have been able to increase my studio but um most of what we're doing is trying to keep this uh the school afloat um so you know i'm, I'm making up the difference uh in income by teaching more hours. And like I said, I, I feel very fortunate, very lucky that I can just say, okay, I, I'm going to teach 15 more students. And there they were. Um, so I've had a waiting list a mile long for, I, I don't know how long. And it just, as soon as people heard I was taking new students, it was, it's like one day just, and I, I don't know what happened earlier this week, but um, this yesterday was Monday. I got five calls saying, you know, are you taking students? We've called you so many times and you weren't taking students, but I heard that if my daughter will take lessons during lunch that you might have space. And um, so, you know, I, you know, most of wow. these families know each other. It's word of mouth, right? Mm -hmm. So one family does really well, um, then they tell their, their students. So yeah, that's then, how you can do it without advertising. as you said. Exactly. Yeah. And usually talent shows are really good for me, you know, so one of my students gets up at their school and they play in a talent show and they're in kindergarten and they're playing beautiful sonatinas. And then I, I get a million calls the next day because their kids are not playing sonatinas. Yes. I've gotten students through that method yeah. too. That's a very exactly. good way of doing it. Yeah. So, so that really works. And I would say for my consulting company, we're working a lot right now with nonprofit organizations that are trying to offer virtual um, versions of their competitions and festivals. Um, it's very difficult to pay commercial rent, um, insurance, taxes, utilities, all of those things when it's empty. I'm, I'm paying yeah. for an empty parking lot. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's crazy. Um, and, and I think you know, that's, I think that's the hardest thing right now. But if you're thinking about starting a music school or rent commercial property, this is a pretty good time to look because there are a lot of vacancies and landlords are being flexible because they don't want their properties to sit empty. So um, if you're negotiation savvy, um, this is a good time to to look you just need to have a good business plan in place and have a backup plan i mean i had about ten thousand backup plans in place starting last january when i uh we started hearing that there might be a pandemic um i started making sure that i i had backup plans okay Great. Well, best of luck to you in those organizations. It sounds promising, but we'll see what happens with the pandemic. Uh, Deborah, it was so great speaking with you. Thanks so much for joining. You're welcome. And thanks to all of you for tuning in to All Keyed Up. I'll see you next time.